now. Doesn't that make it more reasonable? That's a thousand dollars, Mr. Ross. That's right, Albert. What do I have to do? I told you, nothing. If you accept this, you'll wake up in the morning one year older. That's all. Now, does it really make that much difference to you whether you're 19 or 20? Well, now that you put it that way, I, I guess 20's not such a bad age. Fine. Then you've made a deal, Albert. A very, very good deal. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And hey guys, it's Terry here. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation um, and our um, bigger questions that we asked regarding the long morrow. Um, I think that was a fun conversation. Um, and we're going to have an interesting conversation this evening about uh, season five, episode 16, the self-improvement of Salvador Ross. Uh, I, I guess I should uh, kind of set the table here a little bit. Uh, we've been getting a lot of people that have been uh, showing it like uh, some interest in uh, our, our Facebook page and also the show. So we thank you for uh, a lot of the people. And just, I guess I should say one, thanks to Terry. He's, he's been like um, the one behind the scenes, like wowing people. He, he's been like, he's the beefcake that brings people in for the show. So I appreciate that. I mean, I was like, Hey, you're eye candy. You know what you are flash that. And he's been doing it. Um, but yeah, this is a show that in which we've been watching the Twilight Zone sequence uh, from uh, chronologically from seasons one through through now through five. So if you're first time here, welcome to the show. Uh, you know, it's season five. If there's other episodes that you might be interested in the Twilight Zone, go back. Uh, we've talked about a number of things. Um, yeah, but welcome. And thanks to Terry for, uh, you know, shaking his moneymaker to get people here. Yeah, I'm like the carnival barker. I'm like, come on in and see the fun, you know? Like, <laughs> you're like, you're like, look at the freaks. There's a baby that was once a man, you know? And c- come look at the glass box where the man's inside for 40 years, and we don't know where he poops, you know, whatever. Anyway, um, yeah, I just kind of, that that's disgusting. Why I would not want to see that as a sideshow. No, that doesn't seem too fun. <laughs> but yeah, it's a- <laughs> Yeah, come see Burt Reynolds be a dick. You know, anyway, so, all right. <laughs> but that's like every role, right? Yeah, come see Burt Reynolds be a dick to William Shakespeare. <laughs> Speaking of, of Burt Reynolds, I, man, I almost kind of wish the lead in this, like, the guy, he looks a lot like Burt Reynolds. Like, I kept thinking Burt Reynolds the entire time. I don't know about you. Um, it's almost like, not that uh, Don Gordon didn't do a good job, but it's like, my God, Burt Reynolds would have been a lot of fun in this role. Yeah, he definitely had that look. Um, I was I was kind of curious and like 
maybe he had gotten maybe roles that Burt Reynolds turned down because he had that type of look too. This dude would have been a good um, like cast for like a stunt double or something like that for, for him as well. Like, you know, and, and like smoking the band at three, just you bring him in, you know, cause I know it was supposed to be the other guy that was it uh, the trucker playing, uh, playing the bandit the entire time, but no, you bring him in. It would have been fine. All right. So uh, yeah, this is a season five, episode 16, the self-improvement of Salvador Ross air date, January 17th, 1964. Number one song there. I've said it again by Bobby Vinton. Uh, we talked about that previously. Number one film, the sword in the stone um, talked about that as well. Um, so for day and date uh, for January 17th, uh, Michelle Obama was born which that was not her last name at that time, but uh, there you go. Future first lady uh, born on this day. Yeah. Happy birthday, Michelle. I mean, you know, for that, yeah, literally happy the day of your birth because of this episode. Yes. Um, so, and then the, the day after this, um, on the 18th, a scale model of the new 16 acre acre world trade center was unveiled to the public at a press conference in New York city hosted uh, by the governors of New York and New Jersey, um, and the mayors of New York city and Jersey city, the most outstanding feature for the proposed complex, which would be located on the lower West side of Manhattan was its twin towers. So whatever happened to that? Yeah, I, I, I think that's fascinating that, um, like all the groundwork being laid for the, for the structures at that point and everything. Like, um, I always find that, that kind of stuff fascinating. And, and the fact that it's like, um, development concept, all that stuff. Like, and I, I, I'm, I'm glad that they put that in here. I didn't, I didn't actually know it was as early as 64. Cause I don't think that they were finished being constructed until what the mid seventies. Probably that would make sense. I mean, I, I am fascinated with like, um, the process and the execution of things like this, like these huge, like projects, right? Like I know, um, I've talked to you, um, when we're not recording and, you know, when, like when we're friends holding hands at the, you know, the picnic lunch, um, there is a book out there called, uh, the devil in the white city by Eric Larson. That's a historical nonfiction of, was it the 18 late 1800s, like 18 something, something, uh, Chicago world's fair, and also it's the parallel story of the first, uh, uh, United States, uh, serial killer, H H Holmes. It's a great book, but as much as I was fascinated with like the serial killer stuff, I was also fascinated with like the civil engineering to get the world's fair ready for Chicago because Chicago is like, um, the, the landmass of that, like is not suitable for like skyscrapers and like big buildings. They figured out how to like to do some of that and actually start building buildings uh, ready for the world's fair. So a lot of this engineering went in place to be like, oh, we can build big things now. And how fast that came together in like about a year's time is incredible. It really is. And I, a lot of cities uh, do that kind of prep to get um, the enticement to do like that too. And I just also find it all kind of interesting that some of those cities then abandon those structures after the fact, but <laughs> yeah. Um, like what was it? The Salt Lake city Olympics, right? Um, let's see here. When was that? Um, I have a point to my story here. Um, when was that? It was, um, Oh, what year was that developed? 2002. Yeah. That's when the, the Olympics were right. And in, in Salt Lake city, I think it was 2002. Um, I was there, um, in like 98, 
or so. And that's like, they had already been picked as a, as a, a site. Right. And while I was there, they were already putting in the infrastructure for that city to have like the tram lines like updated. And also the university of Utah football stadium was going to be, it was like what it was one of those college teams that had like a left and right side, but like, it wasn't a full, like a full, um, uh, a bowl type of setup, but because they needed to have the opening closing ceremonies there, they were in the process of completing that too. It was really interesting to be in that city at that time as they were still a couple years out trying to put the infrastructure in place for a two-week event. And it's like it's something like that that makes me think that Cleveland will never get that. It's because <laughs> there's been multiple times that they they've tried to put their their name in the hat and like the city can't even figure out their bridge system and how to make <laughs> well, but was it the original Indians park, uh, Olympic stadium is now what it's called because they were trying to get the Olympics here. What with the, uh, old the riverfront. Yeah. I think that was their. I think that was their bid to try to get the Olympics. They built that originally. Oh, uh, you might be right. I mean, the capacity of that thing was outrageous. And I mean, I'm like, yeah, there was a lot of Browns fans, but I don't know if there was enough Indians fans. <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah, uh, just in terms of like, you're right. Like, so with the, the world trade center being like presented and just this, the execution, I'd even bet like then versus now, this was probably still a much faster start to finish than a lot of things now where it feels, it feels like any of these larger structures, it's a years long process, which I mean, rightfully so, cause you got to do it right and you got to be safe about it. Not that I'm saying that the construction of the world trade center wasn't safe, but yeah, it's it, this. This was um, this was like that next step into like no, like we're making this huge thing. We're making two of them. Like that's crazy, a massive undertaking. And yeah, they, it opened up in '73, so yeah, they had quite a bit of time to get it right. Yeah. So all right, that's your day and date. Is uh, Michelle Obama was born the day that the episode aired, and the next day, um, people were wowed by those twin towers that were going to be built nine years later. Sorry, yeah, completed, I didn't even- completed nine years later. Yeah, correct. Uh, and I didn't have anything else for day and date. So, yeah, we can get into our cast now. And uh, to start off, we have our director as Don Siegel. Um, we just talked about him during Uncle uh, Simon. He had directed that episode. Um, to, to touch briefly on other aspects of his career, not only did he direct um, Dirty Harry and Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but he had little bit roles in those two. Oh, nice. Um, but yeah, we had just seen him with uncle Simon with, uh, Robbie the robot. Um, so yeah, this is his, his like second and last episode. So, um, yeah, don't, re- don't really get a chance to kind of dig into how he views the twilight zone because these are very different episodes, but not that that's a bad thing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's Don Siegel. And our, uh, writer, writers, should I say plural, um, Jerry McNeely, uh, did the teleplay for this. Um, he, his big credit that I had seen was, uh, 70 episodes of the Owen Marshall counselor at law series. Don't know anything about it, but I figured since that sounds exciting as all get out. No. Yeah, I know. I like, (laughs) I got to give the dude big ups for writing 70 episodes of the show. I mean, like it had a pretty decent run apparently. So Mm. I don't know anything else. When there's three uh, channels, I guess something has to be on. Um, right. So, uh, yeah. So Jerry McNeely, we, we know him, um, already because his, he, um, he was a professor. I think that, uh, he submitted his story idea for a kind of stopwatch 
uh, Takaga Productions and they, they bought it. And so this was his actually way of saying like, I have a foot in the door. Why don't I take this story by uh, Henry uh, Slezar, which we're going to talk about in a second and actually, or Slezar, whatever. Um, and what if I adapt it? And so that was, that was his kind of like, so he adapted the story and then you're right. Like you mentioned that, that show that he was part of, he, he created like, like a couple other ongoing TV series. So credit to him that he had some ideas that people were like, well, maybe this has legs, you know, good on him. I wish I had a little bit more to say about him, but unfortunately I didn't really know much of his career. So, uh, but yeah, as you were just saying, uh, the short story was, uh, uh, done initially by Henry Silzar, Slezar, Slezar, yeah. whatever. Sleestack, um, Henry Sleestack. Yeah. So, um, uh, he did one other episode that we had just covered more recently, the old man in the cave. Yeah. So there you go. So some returning, um, returning talent coming to this. So we also have, uh, we also have some other returning talent here in our cast. So who do we got here? Okay. So, uh, our lead here is, uh, Mr. Don Gordon. Uh, he plays a titular character of, uh, Salvador Ross. Uh, he did one other episode for this, uh, Twilight Zone and that was the four of us are dying. Yeah. Great episode, early season one episode. Uh, if people have not watched it, go back and check it out. Interesting. It's about a man who is able to, uh, take on appearances and like he can look at like a like a photo and like a newspaper and like take on that person's like traits. So weird that he would also be in this episode about somebody that uh, is able to um, kind of take things from others to try to benefit him from himself. It's an oddly specific thing to be tied to in the Twilight Zone. It, 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 there's some weird pacing to that episode, but I do like that episode. There's it's some really interesting concepts to it, and uh, we'll find out later that there's <laughs> he, he's he's not. He's not very lucky in his episodes that he's appeared in. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Uh, uh, yeah. So I have him. He uh, worked a lot with Steve McQueen. They were friends. So he was in a lot of McQueen films. Uh, one of his last appearances was The Exorcist 3. And then um, I'm, I'm sure you're waiting to tell me the one bit of trivia. We all want to know. Well, I have to mention the the Beast from 20,000 Phantoms, uh, Fathoms he was in. Um, There's a lot of returning actors from that that we've seen in the show. Um Lethal Weapon, and of course, Hawaiian Eye. There you go. So, yeah. And next we got Gail uh, Kobe. Uh, she plays Leah uh, Maitland. Uh, two other episodes of The Twilight Zone, uh, A World of Difference, and is in his image, which we cannot speak highly enough about that episode. Uh, probably the best episode from season four. So if anybody wants a dive into a really different aspect of what the twilight zone has to present to people. Check that episode out. It's magnificent. Yeah. So I, um, I don't know if we mentioned this at the time, but I just, I, she ended up uh, transitioning into being a producer, um, on uh, a lot of uh, soap operas. So she went from acting into like producing, which like I mentioned that because of it, you don't hear success stories a lot of women moving up the ladder and, and, and things like this. So good on her that she moved up and was like producing a lot of like uh, daytime soaps. So uh, yeah, a, yeah, a lot of episodes of daytime soaps. It was like, I, she was a workaholic when I came to her production work. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I have to, I have to bring it back. She was also in the 10 commandments, pretty slave girl. We got her back. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. She was pretty slave girl. All right. Yeah. Isn't that like, but, that's, that's, that's a Rob zombie song that hasn't been written yet. Right. I, yeah, it, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's going to be on his next album. I'll, 
Um, so next we have uh, Vaughn Taylor. Uh, he plays uh, the father of uh, Leah, uh, Mr. Maitland. Uh, four other Twilight Zone appearances. I'll try to get through this quickly. Time Enough at Last, Still Valley, I Sing the Body Electric, and The Incredible World of Horace Ford. Which we'll never speak of again. But I want to mention uh, Still Valley, of all of the of his five appearances, he always looks like kind of like Walt Disney, right? Like he has that kind of look about him. Still Valley, that's the one he does not. He's like uh, a Confederate soldier I like going into like this, uh, this town that like all the union soldiers are like frozen stiff. And it's like, he looks way different. And I'm like, that's Vaughn Taylor. Like I kind of wish we would have gotten him like looking a little different, but this is him. It's like, maybe Walt Disney's not the right thing. Like, like he looks like Walt Disney and, and Salvador Dali kind of came together a little bit and he's in I a wheelchair def- this time. So I definitely see the Salvador Dali reference there. Yeah. Um, I just, I guess I just want to go like with like thin mustaches. I always just, I don't know. I default the wrong way, but it's his fifth of five appearances. Time enough. Alas is one of the most iconic episodes of the twilight zone. Um, and I, he's always great. Every time you see him, I know he had a really bit part in the incredible world of world of Forrest Ford, never to be spoken of again. Um, but I, I like Von Taylor. Yeah. And then some people may know him from the movie psycho as well. So, um, and we move on to uh, our next uh, credit here is uh, J. Pat O'Malley. Uh, he plays Old Man, which that's not a good enough description of who this dude is in this episode. <laughs> he, they should have put sick old man in hospital or something that more than just old man because there were some older gentlemen in this, uh, in this that's episode. That's fair. Old, <laughs> old man in a cave that's a hospital. That's not, no. Uh, no, he's he's old coffee man. That's what he's, he's coffee McGee. Yeah. So uh, three other episodes of Twilight Zone, uh, The Chaser, The Fugitive, and we will be talking about him in a future episode. Yeah. Um, he did a lot of voice work for Disney, uh, Alice in Wonderland, 101 Dalmatians, The Jungle Book, but I have to bring this up. His most important credits for this uh, for the for our show is he did an episode of Johnny Midnight and Hawaiian Eye. Oh, thank you for uh, saving my ass here. Cause I, after I saw that it was his third appearance, I just, I, I, I apologize to our listenership. Like, I feel like if we get to somebody that's like done multiple episodes, I feel like we've talked about them previously. So I don't always do the due diligence to get into the Hawaiian eye or Johnny midnight fine. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tying the twilight zone still to two other detective shows. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's what I'm here for, man. <laughs> So um, uh, my next credit and uh, the one that I'll actually go into a little bit depth with is uh, Douglas Dumbrill. Um, he was Mr. Halpert. Uh, he did two. We had 213 credits, so he was a workaholic as well. Uh, he was in the Ten Commandments as well and an episode of Batman. Yeah, so I have him. Uh, he had the ability that says here per per uh, Wikipedia or IMDb because that's you know we, we do our research here. Um, he had the ability to project a balance of menace and pomposity, pompacity, and, and roles as the heavy in comedy films, such as those of the Marx Brothers or Abbott Costello. So he was in both like their films as well. So, you know, always getting like kind of like the the um, you know the over the top like like what they call the heavy. You know that that's a skill set too. So good on him. And you're right. He mentioned uh, he mentioned the Ten Commandments. Um, yeah, he was the, uh, was it the Egyptian priest and magician, uh, Janice or Giannis, that Giannis, that would not be an Egyptian name. So I'm going to say Janice, you know, so 
There we go. Um, if I messed up those pronunciations, you can come after me directly. But yeah, like I, I was interesting that like because um, we talked last week about um, was it Doctor Bixby, uh, Brixby that he also played heavy, right? They like there's that that connotation of like you get cast as kind of like the villain. Um, cool that they're not always playing those roles here. They're, they're probably also appreciated that they weren't always like typecast. It's gotta be annoying when you're an actor and you, you, you keep on finding yourself in that rut and it finally somebody gives you a chance, but it doesn't really do anything. And just it, everything after that still, still that, that same like pigeonholed position for you in, in the, in the, the business. Well, I feel like, I feel like that's changing now a better, I mean, I'm not saying it still doesn't happen. Right. But like, and this is not the same comparison. So you forgive me, but like you could have easily put like Dave Batista and like just the silent, like, you know, villain, like, like associate, like the secondhand man guy. Right. But he wants to do different things. So they're giving him different things. He's finding like different projects to actually be like, not just the, the lumpy muscle guy. So, and I think we're able to kind of, as an audience, like accept that a little bit more now, but you're right. There was, there's people that made their bread and butter being like that guy. And, um, I don't know how much more in depth you want to go with this cast here. Um, they didn't, the rest of the cast didn't play major roles. So we'll just go through them. Um, I think that that might be best because okay. it's a larger cast. Uh, Douglas Hamper hampered. He plays Albert in this episode. Um, and please stop me if you have anything more in depth that you'd like to say about him. Sure, yeah. Uh, 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 say more Castle. Oh, wait. Uh, so Douglas Lambert as Albert, um, his only twice in appearance, he was in 1980's Saturn 3, which was um, uh, like trying to cash in on the success of Alien, like space horror, that has um, all, it has all the elder, oh, um, shoot. Um here, I'll look this up. I, I I watched this for the other podcast that I do, the Invasion of the Podcast. I, I wrote a blog post about it. Uh, it has uh, <laughs> uh, Kirk Douglas, uh, Harvey Keitel dubbed because he wasn't going to not speak with a, like a New York accent, and Farrah Fawcett. It is a weird-ass movie. Um, let's just put it that way. Uh, but there's definitely a point where Harvey Keitel and Kirk Douglas get into a wrestling match, but Kirk Douglas is naked and you definitely see Kirk Douglas's ass in that film. Okay. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I've looked this up as well. It, it's, it looks goofy. Man. It's not it great. Really <laughs> it's just weird. Um, and if people are interested, uh, can I, can I do a side plug real quick? Um, like if you guys are interested on Saturn three, I made some gifts of this film, uh, go to invasion, the There's a blog post about Saturn three. It was a weird, weird movie. And there's some deleted scenes too. And it's like, this is like Kirk Douglas who shouldn't be like the leading man at this point, but he's still like incredibly fit. So it's like weird seeing like this. I don't know. It's just, but it's like, oh, definitely at one point he's rolling around Harvey Keitel and you're like, Oh, that's an ass. You know, but I, I had to mention Saturn three as a credit because that movie's just weird. There are some really good stills on IMDb for this film. <laughs> well, you, should, you should look gotta, up the blog post and look at my gifts I made. <laughs> if you want to definitely see a gif of a rolling ass, that's what you should look at right now. But anyway, so, um, yeah. All right. But um, yeah, anyway, so yeah, Seymour Castle, Seymour Butts Castle, uh, as Jerry, uh, only twice no appearance, um, and then he like, 
And then I also have a uh, Ted uh, Jacques as the bartender. I saw it in the cast, his scene was cut. So I had to mention that just because he's listed in the cast, but we don't know who he is. Do these dudes still get a paycheck? Like, that's what I want. Well, yeah, they're, they're on set, right? They have to get paid. I mean, like, I would feel I would feel bad if I, I got my family together around a TV, but like, check this out. I'm in the show. No, seriously, I am. Wait. Nope. My scene didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, there is you, no bar. You may not be like part of the residuals, but I'm sure you got paid for your, like, you know, your time on set. Right. So then, uh, last person I have here is Kathleen O'Malley as the nurse, uh, just because she only Twilight Zone appearance, but she's in 1977's Telephone, uh, the Charles Bronson film that we've covered on the show. So when Telephone shows up, have to mention it. Yeah, and she had a long life. She died at the age of 94. So, wow, lots of. Uh, she didn't make a deal with Salvador. We, we know that much. Oh, she was in Black Sheep too. Nice. Um, <laughs> which, which, which so, black sheep, the, um, the one with, uh, um, with, uh, Chris Farley. Okay. That, that's so. a fun movie. I was thinking I, I as like, she's the New Zealand one with like the killer sheep. Um, which if you've not seen that film, it's a lot of fun. I still have to, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's the entire cast. So, <laughs> all right. Now that we've gotten through all the, all of that and me talking about, uh, Kirk Douglas's ass, let's get into, uh, let's Sterling, uh, take it away. Confidential personnel file on Salvador Ross. Personality of volatile mixture of fury and frustration. Distinguishing physical characteristic of badly broken hand, which will require emergency treatment at the nearest hospital. Ambition shows great determination towards self-improvement. Estimate of potential success, a sure bet for a listing in who's who in the Twilight Zone. Um, yeah, so I, we talked last week about the teaser for this episode. We just saw Serling like outside holding his sunglasses and doing a quick intro, like a tease. Th- that's the same footage. Like they shot it this back to back, which makes sense. But it's like, I feel like he was in the middle of like going to lunch when they caught him for this. They had to have. I, I, I've <laughs> never, I've never seen anybody like do that kind of scene that he, like the intro scene. He doesn't need anything in his hands. Why is he holding a pair of sunglasses. He was definitely on his way to go get a pack of cigarettes or something. <laughs> I will say though, with all like now that we've moved into season four and five, where he's no longer like on set the day that they're shooting things, which is a bummer. Cause it's always, always fun to spot the Serling. This whip pan to it, like a street is the one that actually makes the most sense. Like it actually fits the best so far with the season. Uh, so I'll say that, but, but yeah, um, let's get into uh, Salvador and his improvement from being um, like a, a uh, grubby poor asshole into being a uh, not so grubby uh, asshole. Okay. So we open up to uh Sal uh, driving over this nice convertible to meet up with Leah. And uh, she's, you know, she's off put by the fact that he has this nice car. Apparently he, he shouldn't be driving it because it's not his. Um, so he, he borrowed it from some guy that he's doing a little bit of work for. Yeah. Like we, like it said real quick, but he got a job washing cars in a building and one of the clients has a number of fancy cars and they're older. So he's like, yeah, I know this guy. So I borrowed the car and she's like, borrowed. He's like, he's not going to notice it. So he pulled a Ferris Bueller and just took the car and was trying to impress her. Like he's doing this thing of like, Hey, I've made it. It's like, you've not made it. You're borrowing this guy's car. He's like that close enough. And that's kind of what we know about Sal that he's, he always like wants bigger things, but it's, he, he's not 
putting in the time for it. And Leah's already kind of sniffed out that like, he's that guy that expects more, but isn't going to get there. And we, we instantly see that Leah, this is not really, um, too, like too off, uh, of off color for him. This is like kind of his normal behavior. She sees right through it. Like he didn't borrow this car, whatever. And, uh, no, I'm not going to get in this car. Cause he wants to take her for a ride take her out on a town, make her accessory to a stolen car. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Show her a good time in a car that doesn't belong to him. So it's like, she's doing the right thing by um, telling him like, no, I'm not getting the car with you. Take this car back and let like knock it off. Like quit being that guy. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, he wants, he has this, uh, these aspirations to like be with her and like, uh, I don't know, have a relationship and, he's not going about it the right way. Uh, he's a little pushy, like you said. And, um, it's at that, at that time where he's given her like, like the third degree about like how he's the best guy for her and she better change her mind, which I have to say he's, he is a little bit too much right now too, in the physical sense. Like he's like pushing her and grabbing her arm and everything too. I don't know if that's the best approach though. Yeah, and it, it isn't know. like he held her hand like way too long awkwardly like last week. It is more straight up like like I'm going like I'm a man, you're a woman, like you listen to me type of thing. And it's like ugh. Like I like we're supposed to not like his behavior. I get it. Um I wonder though, like 56 years later, that if it's just not gotten like way worse versus him just being assertive. Like everything about it just hurts looking at it. And this, and he's supposed to be 26, which we find out a little later. <laughs> yeah. 26. Like, dude, I don't know how many people have like matured that quickly into this kind of behavior with women, but it's not going to work. It obviously hasn't uh, caught Leah's attention in the, in the right way. So, um, you know, as he's, you know, doing all this really unorthodox behavior for somebody who's trying to be with somebody. Um, the father, uh, her father opens up the door and asks if everything's okay. It, it must've been loud enough that it, it caught his attention. And he, and he, uh, Sal gives him a little bit of a speech like, Hey, you know, despite what you think, um, you know, your daughter should be with me and blah, blah, blah. And the father was like, well, I don't, I don't have a problem with what my, my daughter chooses. It's her choice in the end. And yeah, I think that's exactly what Sal needs to hear. But okay, again, like Sal seems like he's pretty thick headed when it comes to the women. Well, his position is, is that he believes that like, cause they were together, you get the notion that they were an item and then she's kind of gotten tired of like, like, you know, there might be chemistry, but then you kind of like read the room of like, Oh, we do have like, there, you know, there's something here, but you know, that's going to evaporate. And what do I got left? Like this guy is like scheming and trying to find like the next thing, like whatever. And so he says to her about like, look, he's like, what, you don't want to deal with me just because my, my nails aren't clean. Like that's, that's something that comes back later. Um, and we don't know what the reality is of their relationship, but that's, that's, that does not matter. If Lee is not comfortable with him and doesn't want it to continue, that's where it should stop. Regardless of, of Sal's perceived dynamic between them. And so when the father opens the door and, and also credit, credit to this, this episode to be like, 
Um, and though they, they kind of walk it back later where it's like the father's like, regardless of how I feel about you, it's ultimately up to her that that's also, I think that's an important thing to show that the father is aware of like what Leah wants to do. I think that's very important that that's not always something that comes through where, Hey, the, the, the woman has a choice about who, uh, th- sorry, let me, the woman sounds like I'm putting like, a, like she has the, she can choose. It isn't up to me as the father to choose. I think that's an important distinction to bring up for this. And when I say the woman, I don't mean like, I'm not trying to objectify her, but it's like, you know, people can choose who they want to be with. Like, I know this is 64, but it's very important that there's not these roles of like breadwinner and, and housewife, you know? And it shows a clear, uh, position of where the father is. It's not like, uh, you know, guy sitting in the throne, like, Oh, you're not good enough for my daughter. Away would you peasant? Um, it shows that this guy, he is not in control of her emotions or what, how she's going to dictate those emotions. Yeah. So I, I, it's, it's definitely paving the way for us to understand the father, uh, which we need to know for the rest of this episode. Yeah. So then uh, they go away to go play chess, which I'm like, that's an exciting evening, which I mean, I say that honestly, because I mean, I'm gonna play chess. Like I'm fine with that. That'd be great. Um, and then, so then uh, Sal hits the door, which I just want to point out that door is huge. What is, what is the thing this season with like really large doors? But anyway, um, so he punches the door, supposedly like messes up his hand, gets in his stolen car and goes to the driveway. And that's, we get the Sterling's intro where, he, where Sterling's like, I can't be bothered for this. I have to go. I'm going to go get like, I'm going to the deli right now to get a sandwich. He gives his intro. We're out the door there. And then we get to uh, Sal going to a hospital overnight for a broken hand. Does, did that confuse you? It confused me. It confused me. It also made me think that when uh, Rod was going to the store, he probably should have picked up some milk for Sal because how weak was that punch? I just... <laughs> You're saying his bone density is terrible. He's like, hey, do I, I might have dirt under my fingers, but I also have low calcium in my, in my system. Yeah. Like, yeah, what, has he got rickets or something? Like, what is, why is his hand, why like, did his hand collapse on itself like, from that weak-ass punch? Like, I expect, I expect it now, I want, I want his hand to his elbow to collapse like an accordion. That's what I want from that punch now, like, you know, like, that would be amazing. But you're yeah, right. I, like, he didn't that, sell that one at no, all. Like, I just, no. <laughs> I imagine, like, the wrestler punch, you know, and, like, they sell it way better, and then nothing there is no contact at all. This, that, <laughs> I just want to be loud. I just like later in the episode, it's like, Hey, look at you. Your bones are dense. Uh, I want to make a deal. <laughs> <laughs> look at you. Look at you with not walking bow legged. Cause your bones are like all mushy. Okay. Like, <laughs> but you're right. Like, but yeah, he's overnight because like, they're like, Oh, like the doctor wants to look at the x-ray to give you the cast. I'm like, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Maybe, um, you know, I understand medicine has moved way forward, but I thought like, even at that point, getting a cast was like, a, like, you know, like same day, but he's it, overnight there. It, it it seems that he's not a guy who has like a really good career path. So maybe staying overnight at a hospital wouldn't be the best. I, if I was working menial jobs, like I'm sure that Sal is because all he's doing is washing cars or whatever at this, uh, this apartment building. I would not want to stay in a hospital. I'd just be like, dude, I will come back tomorrow. You guys do your thing because obviously you don't need me. I'm going to be sleeping in this room. 
I'll come back tomorrow. I don't want this bill. We never find out what happens with the car. It's like he goes to the hospital. I want the old, like the person that owns the car and be like, hey, my car, like my car's not been washed and it's also been stolen. What's happened? You know, like we never find out, but it's been great. And been like, yeah, he called like Sal calls the guy. He's like, hey, um, this is going to be an extended wash. It's going to be overnight. I was like, oh yeah, whatever. It's fine. Yeah. I had to clean off knuckle blood from your interior. <laughs> Weird. It was weird. My, uh, my, uh, my easily, uh, destroyable hands blood all over the interior car. <laughs> I, I, yeah, whatever. But, um, so yeah, so he's, um, he gets put in this room by the nurse and, um, before, uh, before they fall asleep, um, we see that he has a roommate and this is the old man, which I'm old sick man. So this guy, he looks like he is on death's door. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's he is all sweaty coughing up a storm it's got the consumption and, you know whatever yeah and he um he you know he asks uh sal about his hand and everything and he said yeah it hurts whatever uh but he said well you know you got it lucky because you're young enough you'll you'll be able to kick that no problem you'll you'll bounce back from it quickly he's like me on the other hand i got this sickness he's like so Sal is like, all right, I'll placate this guy. Like, really? You think you think that I'm lucky? He's like, look at this. And he's like, but with the age that you are, you would be able to get over this cough quickly. And he's like, Sal, Sal responds with, hey, you want to trade? We'll trade. I'll, tra- I'll take your cough. You can take my broken hand. And before they, they fall asleep, the old dude says, yeah, let's do it. It's mm-hmm. a trade. Yeah, so then there's the bit where Sal wakes up and he takes his uh, his like super bandaged bandaged hand and just like smacks against the nightstand or whatever off to the side of the bed. Which, you know, I mean, we know that his hand's healed at this point, but it's like, man, if it wasn't, that'd be the worst way to wake up, right? You just turn over your sleep and just bang your broken hand against like was he Mister Glass from like uh like um oh what was it um Unbreakable? Is he uh you know like is he Samuel Jackson's character from that anyway? Um, but yeah, he, he realizes his hand's not broken. He goes over and sees the old man that his hands messed up. And like, so then, uh, he like turns on the light and tells the old man, he's like, look, look, you like, look at this. I got the cough. You got the hand. We're good. And the guy's like, I'll never recover from this. He's like, whatever. A deal's a deal. I'm out. And just leaves. And it's like, that's great. So we learned that now, uh, Sal's figured out that like, there's something going on that he could probably, he has the ability that if people, promise him something that there has to be a deal. Like, like he can be a deal maker and get benefits from this. Um, cause if he has something that somebody wants, he can do like this, like it, it just, it doesn't explain to how he can do it, but he can make deals and get things from people in return for certain things. I want to read the short story version of this. I want to see if they actually dive into other possible events that may have led up to sale, getting this power. But, um, yeah, so you, we don't we don't know what that 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 reasoning is, but well, it's, you so know we don't need it either. That's true. But can I put you on the spot for just one second, Terry? So before you and I start recording, we we briefly mentioned um, our like we were talking about like watching movies or whatever, and we mentioned uh, uh, Wonder Woman eighty four. Uh, Pedro Pascal's character with it, like having the ability to have people wish things, and there's always a cost. This isn't that different from that. No, and I'm you know it's a good thing that you brought that up because th- it is a very similar concept. 
um, just a retelling of it in a sense. And, you know, I'll give you this, but there's going to be a cost to it. So you've got to give me that, whatever that cost is in return. And, you know, about Sal is definitely working this out to his benefit. Yeah. And we're going to find that out in these next couple moments of this, uh, the episode. No, his ability um, is much more uh, beneficial to him than uh, Max Lord's ability of granting wishes and the toll it takes on his body. But they're not dissimilar. Sal is a man with a plan and it works to his benefit in a in an awesome way right now. So we see Sal. He goes over to Mr. Hartford's. Uh, apartment. Now, I believe this must be the guy who owns the slick car. I'm assuming, at least. I mean, we can only hope. <laughs> like, at least, at least there's not one other older person out there. Like, Where's my car? You know. <laughs> yeah. For continuity's sake, I'm going to assume that this is the dude. But um, so, yeah. Um, and this apartment, I have to point out, is the same apartment, the same badass apartment from a short drink from a certain fountain. We're just seeing it from a different view. Yeah, which I, like I don't know how you felt about it. Like again, I think it's good because you you take a setting and you just kind of flip the camera. That apartment looks way bigger now than it did in that other episode. It does, and I I've just I'm, that's my dream apartment. Like that that place looks so badass, and it looks like it has a couple more rooms. There's a fireplace. Like it's. It's awesome. I take it as is, fully furnished with a giant lighter, which I could use as a club as well. <laughs> well, then <laughs> the lighter then was massive. You just turn around, look. You got the little spiral staircase, and you got the little beaded curtain going in the kitchen. Yeah, I want that place. That place rocks, and yeah. it's on the top floor too. So I, it, that must be the the penthouse. Yeah, because I mean, clearly, um, um, man, baby, and uh, trophy wife moved out, right? So. That's why Halpert moved in and bought the, the property because, you know, a single mom can't raise a child in that apartment. Yeah. And I, I guess it's a good connection to have for this apartment and that episode because of the instant we're going to have. Him. <laughs> yes, please go, go. So Sal yeah. has this, uh, this, this great idea that he's, uh, basically, um, worked his way into the apartment, uh, of this gentleman. And the guy's like, all right, well, give me, what's this, what's this big plan? What, what is it? What are you trying to sell me here? And sales like that. You're looking at it. It's youth. It says, I'll give you 40 years of youth. All you do, all you have to do is give me some money. And of course the, uh, the gentleman's like, you're nuts. Like you, you might as well take a walk. I, I don't understand what you're on. And he's like, no, seriously, just hear me out for a second. I'm going to give you 40 years. And we'll just pick a, a dollar amount. How about a million dollars? Would it would forty years be worth a million dollars? And this badass apartment. And the badass apartment. Like, yeah, he had to like, tack that onto you. He's like, all right, he's listening to me. It's like, let me see how far I can push this. So he adds the apartment onto, and the guy's like, whatever, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll take your forty years, and and you can have the apartment and the million dollars. He's like, all right, I agree, and. So he closes him out of the apartment. And then the next scene after the, the commercial break, I assume, um, we see a white-haired gentleman sitting there, and it's Sal. He he took on the 40 years uh, for Mr. Halpert. Um, and we see that he is getting a paper delivered by the elevator operator. And the elevator operator gets a – he gets strong-armed into a conversation about how you know how long he's been being like how long he works there uh, how young is he how much he makes just so sal 
can hit him with the proposition now. But it's not working out to his advantage at first. So he tries to he tries to buy one year off yeah. of this kid. And the kid says, Well, you know, I like my time. It's it's not it's not worth it's not worth me just selling it. Because he tries Sal tries to buy it for two hundred and fifty bucks. Now I wanna ask you, what is the dollar amount to buy one year off of you? <laughs> Surprisingly <laughs> low, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hey, I'll take a case of Moosehead. You know? <laughs> okay, okay. Higher than a case of Moosehead, I'll tell you that. No, like, um, you know, I, I've I've made some bad financial decisions in my life coming up to this point. If if someone said to me, hey, I'm going to chop one year off your life, what do you want? I mean, obviously, I'd shoot for the moon and, like, ask for everything, but the bare minimum would be, um, I have some student loans. If you just wipe that out, I, I'd call it even Stevens. That would be right there. If I was this this elevator operator, I would look around at the apartment and be like, "Keep on going, buddy." Yeah, yeah, but, no, like, you know, yeah, you got him yeah. on the hook. No whammy, not? no whammy. Stop. Like, just keep going, right? Like, I want, I want five thousand and a bonus spin. You got to keep this up. But if I keep it at the bare minimum, I think two hundred and fifty dollars of nineteen sixty four money might be all right. I, I think I, I might have taken you. You could have probably bucks. bought a small country with that amount of money, but I don't know about <laughs> that. I mean. That's definitely a car and half a house. I, that's not true. But I, you know, like I'm just saying, like if you could guarantee that, like I would be free of like my dumb debt, I would give a year. Like that's that's that that's the minimum. Like, but you know, like that's just me. So anybody out there, if you have the ability to do this, contact me, please. I'll give you a year. You know. So, uh, so yeah. So the, the kid refuses the two hundred and fifty dollars, and pretty much as he's out out the door, sell. He he changes his mind. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna just write down this check, a different dollar amount, and give it to him. So he increased it to a thousand dollars. Well, this has definitely changed the mind of the kid now. So he's like, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take the thousand dollars. Well, yeah, because he's supposed to be like 19, which I know the actor was like what he was like 28 or something at the time. But yeah, um, yeah. So he it's a thousand. Uh, you said yeah, a thousand dollars, but. You know, and the kid said how much he makes a week, which was like like fifty six bucks or something like that. He takes home a week, yeah, plus the possibility of tips. Like, hey, a thousand dollars is pretty good, pretty good money. Yeah, so a thousand dollars at that point, from sixty three to twenty twenty one, would be the equivalent of eighty five hundred today. Woot! Yeah, I yeah, cash me in, man. I'll take you. I'll I'll give you one year of my life. I'm living hard and fast, so I'm probably don't got much of them anyways. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, I'm not gonna tell you which year. <laughs> Um, it's it's definitely going to be like you know the the hungover eating peanut butter every day year that's the year i'm going to give you (laughs) like whatever um so yeah before the kid takes off though um with the money he says oh you know thanks thanks a lot and uh sal tells him hey tell your friends i'm the man like you know keep send them my way and uh you know the operator says I, hey, maybe I'll even sell you a few more, you know, like, let's talk, um, which I think I think that's funny because there is a progression here that happens quickly. We don't know what kind of timeline this is, but the next scene that we see Sal, he has quite a bit of less, uh, quite a bit less gray hair. I would say that he probably has shaved off about 25 to 30 years at this point now. 
Yeah, I mean, he's older, but not like where he was. You're right. So then he goes into the elevator where there's like a different elevator operator, right? And that's actually kind of a fun scene where he sees this guy. He's like, oh, hey, what's going on? I haven't seen you around. And then the, the camera moves up. And you see the elevator go down. And then whenever they exit the elevator, the operator is like considerably older. And Sal is like, you know, right as rain. He's like, enjoy your money. Like that. that's, that's a nice um, point of what the Sal's ability to buy and sell things. And I, I thought that was a really great shorthand. It was great. I, I actually loved that scene a lot. Uh, whoever set the scene up, I don't know if it was in the original story like this, but it worked out really well. Um, and yeah, like you said, like he has this power, the gift of gab at this point too, because it only took him 18 floors to convince this dude to take on the rest of whatever that time was to get him back to, which was probably even. He, he looks like he he's twenty six yeah. again. That's fair. So if he was smarter, he would realize that he now has the ability to kind of uh, barter his way through eternity, right? But that's not what he does. No, no. He, he for some reason is so compelled to go back to Leah and rub it in her face. Um, so when he goes over to her place. Um, he walks into her father being the only one there at this, at this point. And, um, so he talks to the father about like, you know, Hey, uh, I want to be with your daughter. I don't really care what you say. And the father says, Hey, I'm, I, it doesn't matter what you say. I don't want you marrying her. Yeah. Well, he even says like Mr. Maitland says to, um, to Sal, he's like, do you love her? And there's a pause. It's a very right. distinct and purposeful pause where he's like, I want her. And it's like, that's all you need to know about Sal. I want the pretty slave girl. I don't care what you say. <laughs> um, I, you, I almost choked. And after realizing I was going to make a deal for my life, I'm going to try to stay alive now, but I almost choked there. So again, people <laughs> reach out to me. Like we can work something out. I will not um, choke to death after Terry's amazing statement there. So, <laughs> so yeah. Um, so this this banter goes on for a little bit. Um, it, it's it, it's not heated, but you can tell that um, that Sal doesn't have the upper hand here. He's Leah's going to side with her father, no matter what the stakes are. But he feels like maybe he has a better you know card up his sleeve than he has or he ever has in the past. So now we see Leah come through the doorway, and he says. You know, he's talking to her, and apparently he's a lot more articulate, more articulate than I am, apparently, um, <laughs> as I've tried to describe this scene. And um, she's like, wow, you, you sound like you sound like you're speaking better in that. Um, and he's, like, like, you know, he's like, I found somebody at college that could help me talk good, and I made a deal. <laughs> yeah, and um, uh, it must have been one of those situations where he was able to trade off some of that time or money again to get himself a little bit more. It just makes me wonder if there's a college student. Now this, it sounds like this guy that's like this, like scrub, like car washer guy. It's like, you know, here's an English major that like, you know, was going on to get his doctorate. Right. And like, he's like, he can't like, he can't articulate now. <laughs> like, you know, he's like, I don't know. I'm here. Shakespeare wrote some good words once. It's like, get out of my school. Yeah. Now he's the, He's in the episode of the Bard and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. film school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's now a um, you know an upset Burt Reynolds punching Shakespeare. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, so it, it, she's a little bit more wooed by this. You know, he's he's looking a lot better. He has a nice three piece on. Um, his his he, fingernails are clean. That's what he says. 
Right. And he wants to take her out to dinner. And, you know, it, it, this this conversation um, still has to be run past the father in some in some way, I guess, because um, she she looks to her father and like, hey, is it cool? And I think it's because like the father's I don't want to say that he's an invalid or anything like that, but he he is wheelchair bound. Well, there's the whole thing, too, where Sal points out that, like, you know, that Mr. Maitland went off to war and got a hobbled leg. And all he has now is like these guns on the wall, which is like it's very important to point out the guns. Just keep that in mind later, people. If you're not watching this episode, spoiler, um, you know, I'd also say if you're not watching this episode, uh, stop listening right now and watch the episode. It is um when we talk, we get to the twist rating. I'm going to give this a five because I literally did not see the end of this episode coming. Like it was sudden and amazing, but yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely yeah. spoiler alert at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah. I know yeah. that we talk about the, the episodes in their entirety, every, every conversation, but this is definitely one that if you have not seen the end of this episode, you might want to. Yeah. I'm going to throw one of these out here right now to warn people like spoilers here. That cat was a witch. So just watch out. The cat was a witch. That's a spoiler alert right now. So, um, yeah, like if you have any interest at all in this episode, watch it because we're about to, to get into, uh, parts of this. I did not expect to happen. <laughs> so, so yeah, but he's basically, so Sal's like kind of shitting all over Mr. Maitland. It's like you went to war, uh, and it took your leg and all you got is these metals and guns. Like, what do you have now? You're just in this apartment in your wheelchair. You watch your stories, you know, whatever. It's like, you're nothing. And also it's like, he's a, they, they also find out that Mr. Maitland's a teacher, right? I think we find that out. And it's like, you've given your life to like helping others. And like, who are you? So Sal is basically being like, you've done all this and you've got nothing. It's like, I can give, I can buy whatever I want um, or whatever Leah wants. And that's when we get the whole bit of like, do you love her? He's like, I want her. So you, you get this, this dichotomy of like, Sal feels like he's owed. He, he, he's felt like he's been owed from the start. And now that he has this power ability and wealth and influence, that's only gotten worse. So, but you know, I, I'm going to put Lee on the hook here a little bit too. She sees him show up in like a suit and tie. And she's like, Oh, this is way better. <laughs> and then she goes out to dinner with him and then she gets her bearings like quickly thereafter. Yeah. Cause all we're seeing a difference is of the, is the packaging. Yeah. He's still a douchebag underneath all that packaging. Yeah. Um, so at sales, a place, uh, we get, you know, them making out, but there's this quick heel turn of like, she still realizes that it's not the guy that she, she expected, like, or actually, I guess hoping that he would have turned into, um, and she says, you know, uh, you're, you're not, you're, you're not nice. You're not compassionate. And, you know, my father is a great person. Like you need to be more like, essentially she, she's comparing him to her father, which, you know, that, I guess that is in a lot of ways, like what people do sometimes they, they fall in with some fall in love with somebody who is more like, you know, the parent that, you know, like daddy's little girl is going to want to find somebody who's like her father. Well, that's fair. But I think if she sees the things that she loves about her father, like the compassion and like the caring about others, and that she realizes that that's what she wants in a partner. She's not wrong about that. I think that's very valid. Um, I do want to point out here, like the music cue between them, like when they're making out, I think that's the same music cue from the last episode of the long morrow. When we got the, the, you know, um, spaceman and, uh, you know, what's her face, um, horn, Sandra horn, 
uh, kissing. I think it's a, I think it's literally the same music cue, but I f- you feel wildly different about those interactions. Yeah, for sure. Um, that these ones are t- <laughs> taken in totally two di- two different, totally direct. Uh, well, it's like it's like one of these. Totally like, oh, these direction. are lovers. They're they're tragic, right? And this one's like this guy's a jerk, and it's like, and then she immediately was like, "Yeah, I'm not having any of this." But then Sal, um, you know, he doesn't quite compute it. Like he can't he can't handle it. He's frustrated. And then she's like, "I want to go home." He's like, "Okay." Uh, and then back at their place, um, he's like, "I want to talk to your dad." And she's like, "Okay, well, I have an early morning. I'm going to go." It's like, "Okay, good." So then. Like we get this, it's actually kind of like, it's a nice beat of like, I want something from you. Let's make a deal. And he's like, well, what can I possibly offer you? The father says, he's like, well, it's hard to explain. And then that's where we get like a nice cut. It's like that, that's interesting storytelling, which you, I, everybody knows that he's seeking the father's compassion and understanding and wants to buy it and make a deal. Especially through these conversations that he's had with Leah. Mm Mm-hmm. There's something that is attached more to her father and that he hasn't had a grasp on yet. Like he hasn't been able to find it in all these people that he's traded with. And he's like, all right, let's do this old dude. And I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars for this. Um, yeah. So the next scene we see that Sal and Leah are together. They have gotten out of the super nice car. Um, you know, that's a, they embrace, but they're back at her place and, you know, they look happy. This, this is something that's a little bit more genuine. And when they walk in, um, they see, uh, her father there again, and he wants to talk with Sal, uh, in the living room again. So Leo goes off to her room or whatever. And Sal is having this, uh, emotional scene with her father saying, you know, I want to apologize for the person I have been. I see much more in Leah than I had ever seen before, and that, that she's worth more than whatever I've done in the past. Uh, and he wants to let her uh, let her father know that he's a changed man. Yeah, a day later, did you catch that? Right. Yeah, I don't like through all the the door punching and like the, uh, all the arm grabbing and that. One day later. From all, from all that removed. It just, it, it just it, you know, like, I think what we were about to talk about would have landed much better storytelling-wise if it would have lingered after the deal for Sal, like, when he took the thing that he took. If it would have been like, oh, the last six months have been amazing. Like, you know, like, I now understand. You know, and letting having Mr. Maitland kind of, like, like simmer and cook without the thing he has now, I think that would have played much better. Like the last episode literally was a 40 year gap. Why can't we have a few weeks or at least a like couple months, but this is 24 hours. That's the part about this. It's like, well, that was sudden. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why they chose to go one day. I mean, they could have put an arbitrary amount of time on there, just like six days off. Uh, even like 72 hours, like something more than a oh, day. But I take that back. The, the last episode, the couple fell in love in three and a half hours. So maybe a day's like, you know, like, Hey guys, that's like, you know, seven times more than what happened. <laughs> like the last episode. Like, Oh yeah, you're right. That did take a long time. Maybe Rod's just trying to tell us that love finds a way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nature finds a way. Uh, no, um, but like, 
And just, if you would, like, you're right. Like arbitrary, like it, it's what it's, it's an unforced error. Like he didn't even have to give a, a time frame. It'd been like this, like, since I've been with your daughter now, I understand. Like if you left it like amorphous and vague, it would have played much better for what's about to happen. Cause the, 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 the audience doesn't need to know yeah. the timeline either. We, we haven't ha- had any idea of what timeline is throughout the rest of this episode. So, I mean, why did we have to stamp one and also, like, that takes all like agency away from Leah because she's kind of like made it clear about like what she wants and, and doesn't want. And I think that she's smarter and more capable of person to not be like, like it's 24 hours. Things have changed. Cause I feel like she has been uh, on and off with Saul long enough to feel like he knows how to put on airs for a bit, but like his true character shows through. Um, so this feels like a bit of a, like, it feels like it's kind of shortchanging her too. That that's how I feel about it. I have to agree with you on that. It just, it, it shows how wishy-washy she is about like how to actually play out the rest of her life. I don't, she's stuck on this one dude and sees all of his faults, but still ends up giving him another shot. Um, but whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I know you and I are kind of like, we're overshooting like the intent, but it's like, that's that's like the bad taste in my mouth for this is for her, not not what happens next because whatever. But like, please get into this. I keep I keep teasing it, uh, but let's let's get to one of the more um, sudden endings of the Twilight Zone I've seen in like I don't know this entire run. It's a, it's the ending's amazing. I don't know how Bill feel about the episode, but the ending's amazing. So so we get the the scene where um, he's still trying to you know tell him that he's a different guy sells a a changed man and how much he loves her and that and uh dad is like i told you i wasn't going to give her to you and implying that he still can't marry her um and he says sal says to him like where's your compassion and the her father says compassion don't you remember i sold that to you yesterday (laughs) And he pulls out uh, a handgun, a Ruger, from his blanket that was on his lap. And no more dialogue, shoots him dead. (laughs) Sal is dead on the floor. And that's it. That's your episode. Like, Sal made one deal too many. And he finally, Sal finally learned what it meant to be compassionate, right? But, you know, Mr. Maitland now doesn't have compassion, so... Uh, he decided that, you know what? I got money and I have my daughter. I'm going to shoot her uh, soon to be 24 hour fiance in the gut. And we're out. Don Gordon dead on the floor again for another episode. Yeah. So here we go. <laughs> yeah. Cause the four, four of us are dying, right? Like that. Yeah. He, yeah, you're right. The oddly specific, like out. Yeah. A very abrupt killing too. Bye. <laughs> By a father too. Oh, right? that's right. Cause yeah, it was the father of the boxer. Right. And, uh, the yep. four of us are dying cause he was upset because, uh, the, the main character used the face of the boxer and, uh, the father kept like wandering or like coming around. The guy's like, I don't know what you're all about. And that guy pulled the trigger on him. That's right. Yep. And I wonder if it was the same gun. <laughs> <laughs> I just would have loved it. If like the same father would have walked in and attacked Mr. Malo on the shoulders. Like I got this boom. Like we're done. So yeah, a very abrupt ending. Um, definitely one of the more abrupt that we've seen in a while. 
And uh, I, I will have to say that I love this ending. I thought this <laughs> ending was a nice little cap on the rest of this episode. Well, considering that, like, I feel like um, that the Twilight Zone is kind of its its own worst enemy with the expectation of the twist, like on the sucker punch that it's like, it's cause it set itself up before and it's pulled like the, like, you know, the rug out from people repeatedly that it, it, there's times where it tries to bring it and it doesn't quite land. And I, you know, let's just here. I, I, I don't have any actual trivia from the episode other than what you mentioned about the, the, um, the apartment, but here, let's just do this. A sudden gun and somebody dying. I did not see that coming whatsoever. I'm going to give that a five straight up five. My twist, my twist ratings a five. My mind's blown that this is how the episode ended. I I'm going with you, man. It's a five for me as well. Like I was not expecting that at all. And it was like, I watched this episode at like four in the morning the other day when I couldn't sleep <laughs> and I, I could not believe what I was watching. I thought I was having like, I don't know, like a fever dream or something. I was like, Whoa, that just happened. <laughs> yeah. Like I had to back it up and be like, D- D- what? Like, <laughs> um, like, and so with that being said, I almost feel like the better ending for this would have been like the father constantly like being like knowing that's the thing that Sal wants now and he's not going to give him that you're going to find out that like Sal, no matter how many deals he can make, he can't get everything that he wants. Um, I think would have like still punished him. I mean, getting shot and killed is like straight up. That's punishment. Um, I think for his character arc, um, I think he should have been left to suffer. And now that he knows compassion, that would have hurt him worse, like living and knowing he'll never get the thing that he wants. Um, but again, you know, you got a minute, a minute to go in your episode, you know, have a, have Salvador Dali pull a gun and shoot it, shoot you. It's fine. Like I'm fine with that too. It was, it was, uh, it was different, man. It was really a really interesting concept that they ran with for the ending on this. And, um, you know, that weird bit of pacing at the end and selection for like timeline and that I, I mean, it was like just such a, a minor detail that I would have liked to have changed, but man, the ending really like it, it's awesome. I really it nailed it for me. It, it definitely elevates the episode for me because it's, it was okay. And I feel like this was like a proto X files episode. I would have loved to seen this where it's like, this guy can make deals and have like, you know, uh, you know, Mulder and Scully, like, like in the, in the wake of somebody like switching traits with people like this, like there, this is an idea that has more riches to be mined out of that. I kind of dig. Um, you know, overall it's like, it it just felt like a little rushed at times and maybe it wasn't utilized the best for my tastes, um, in terms of what I've seen in the twilight zone, but the, the, it moves along decent clip pacing's good. I think all the actors are great in this. Um, and it kind of ends on a mean note. So I kind of got to put it up there and like one of the, the, one of the better episodes so far season five, cause it doesn't pull punches, which has been kind of what I feel like the biggest fault of the series in the second half of its run is that they're trying to make people feel like, Oh, well, that was okay. No, you, you got to just punch people in the face sometimes and be like, that's your episode. And this one does that. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. This one was like, it, it encapsulates the idea of what the Twilight Zone can do for you as far as like twist endings and uh, like the really like the, the like the gut punch of like, well, you didn't expect it. And now this guy's dead. That, I mean, that's like I this is Twilight Zone to me. This is what I expect out of Twilight Zone. And you don't have to go into depth for reasoning and that like we didn't need to know what his, why he got the powers that he did. But we see a, a, a clear message in this episode of like, be, you know, be a little bit more careful with how you use your wishes in a sense, uh, which I have to add into the fact that like this is like a wish episode ex- in itself. Too. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it is definitely a bunch of be careful what you wish for. Yeah. And uh, like, I think that the twist and how that they presented that instead of having again, you know, like here's the devil or here's the genie, like the things that they keep on, a, they've had retreads of doing. I like this. That's fair. It isn't like at the very end, he uh, traded traits with Hitler, you know, <laughs> like it wasn't like, you know, Oh no, he's now Hitler now, you know, whatever, like, which, you know, that's happened a few times on the series. No, it was, no, it was okay. Like, um, there is, um, there's a character in the Marvel universe, uh, called the absorbing man. I think, I think they tried to do this in the Ang Lee Hulk film with Nick Nolte, where he can, he can, he can touch people and like take things from them. Uh, and there's a story, uh, cause he's one of like Thor's like, you know, um, villains where this guy can like touch like steel or adamantium and take the properties. Uh, there was a story of, of one man standing up to the absorbing man that was like, you can't do this. And the guy's like, well, I don't know who you are, but you're telling me to screw off. I want to touch you. And this guy was like riddled with cancer. So the absorbing man like absorbed his cancer and was like, Oh, well, that's bad. And like tried to like get away, but it's like, you know, like be careful. Like you're like, Oh, well what's, why is this guy like so confident? Oh, cause he has nothing to live for. Cause he's going to die. You know, like, I feel like there's a lot of that here where it's like, with Sal, it's like he sees the surface level, but I don't think he always understands like there's something bigger going on and it comes back to bite him. Definitely did. <laughs> In the gut. In the gut, right? So you got to get like the random uh, gunshot. Like it would have only been better if he would have fell out a window, but I think they were in like a sub, like sub basement apartment. So he would not have fallen far. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been great. It's like, oh, I I hit the ground three feet from now. Like whatever. Anyway, so. He should have grabbed the TV and collapsed onto himself. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been amazing. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So yeah, fun episode. Like I just, and it zigged and zagged and I didn't see it coming. And so. Uh, this far in, I think that's like, that's a compliment, right? So there you go. So, uh, and I knew this conversation was going to be a lot of fun. So that's going to do it for our talk about the self-improvement of Salvador Ross. Um, yeah, you guys can find us on our, our Facebook page. It's in, um, in strange highways. Um, and I, with a lot of people have been like, I, I mentioned earlier because, uh, Terry Shaking's Moneymaker. A lot of people have been liking that page. We always post things during the week, like screenshots of the episodes. Follow us there. Um, you guys can email us directly at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts about the episode. Let us know if there's things that you want us co- for us to cover in the future, because we have some plans coming up uh, for the midway point of the season. We're going to do some detours. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. And also wherever you find your podcast, rate and review us. And Terry, uh, what other social media things can people find us on? All right, folks, we are on Instagram, and uh, you can check us out on there, posting goofy pictures. Please follow us. We need more followers. We need people to see the awesomeness that 
sometimes this this series can like if we take those pictures out of context are hilarious um so yes we are yes. strange highways podcast there's there's a lot Instagram. yeah there's a lot of discussion about where poop rooms are in space so there you go and and we are, we are on all kinds of platforms um you know we are on iHeartRadio, which i found out today so if you can go to anywhere you get these podcasts give us some kind of review give us a, a like a follow We'd appreciate it. Um, we'd love feedback. Recommend um, it to a friend, please. Like if you're having fun with this, um, I I know that I am like every week I look forward to talking to Terry about these episodes because I know I always go for like lowest common denominator and make like, I just, I'll find a dead horse and just beat it till it's glue. But I enjoy like this episode was a lot of fun. Not all of them are a lot of fun. Our conversations I always enjoy. So I hope if you guys enjoy the conversation, Please like say, tell everybody else like we're still in the middle of quarantine times, and if you like hang out in your apartment and watch Twilight Zone, that's cool. That's a good call. Um, you know, have people be like, "Hey, check this out!" Like, we'd appreciate that. Yeah, it, it's the real pyramid scheme that you need to be telling your yeah, friends about. Tell two friends, and they'll tell two friends, and then you guys will get Twilight Zone points. That, that's not true. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for our discussion about uh, the self improvement of Salvador Ross. Uh, let's get into, uh, next week's episode, which is going to be number 12, uh, looks just like you. Uh, let Serling tease that right now. And now Mr. Serling. On our next outing, Charles Beaumont comes through with another delightful flight of futuristic fantasy about a society of another time in which you literally can't tell the players without a scorecard. They all appear in an identical mold. Colin Wilcox, Richard Long, and special guest star Susie Parker appear in a program called Number 12 Looks Just Like You. I hope you're around to catch the similarity. I'm sure we'll talk about uh, how much Charles Beaumont did not contribute to this episode, sadly enough. But that's next week. But yeah, that sounds exciting. That sounds like a kind of a sci-fi one. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm pumped for this one. This one is uh, highly regarded by uh, the, the community of fans. So I think this is going to be a real treat for us. Wonderful. So that's going to do it for us this week. I uh, have a good week. Have a safe week. Um, if somebody offers to, to pay money for a year of your life, I mean, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying if you can come to me and tell me that my student loan debt be wiped out, uh, you guys can find me and I'd be totally cool with that. And drink your milk so you can work on that bone density. changed i'm asking you for forgiveness for compassion compassion don't you remember i sold it to you yesterday <laughs>